0: Welcome to the Hemp Empowerment Project. We are your hosts, Anthony and Nicole Lucido. Our goal is to share the amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can benefit your life.
1: Today we have with us Jean Lotus. She's a hemppreneur and freelance journalist for an international news agency. She grew up in Colorado and got to participate in Colorado's Department of Agriculture panel to make deliverables for the state's hemp blueprint she's super excited that one of her ideas will, in, will be in Colorado state plan. Jean, you had spent some time to broker a deal for biomass and that went sour. Can you kind of tell us what happened?
2: Oh, so sad. Well, you know, um, it was really kind of a culture clash Uh the people who are buying the biomass, and I would say for all the people that are thinking about getting into hemp, one of the things that you need to understand is that they're, the big buyers really want complete, like Martha Stewart or Walmart. If Walmart were selling CBD, which they might be, um, they want like complete corporate risk aversion, and a lot of the people in Colorado who are growing hemp um, have a somewhat, well, they're called the legacy growers. They might've had many experience, many years of experience growing cannabis illegally, some growing cannabis legally within this, you know, since the state you're in Nevada, so you know what it's like to live in a state with uh, legalized cannabis. Um. So there's sort of a a gray market, which is wonderful for, so when we did this deal, it was going to be a $6 million deal. And this group had 100 acres of cannabis in the summer of 2019, which was a real investment for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at the time there was a price crash, people were buying seeds and seedling plants, uh, clones for a dollar each and hoping to get like $4 each for the biomass and the price just crashed to about a dollar a pound. So that was very tense. And the buyers were people who were, you know, big investors. They, I think the end result of uh, the end use of the CBD was going to be in cosmetics in Europe or something. But anyway, they wanted extreme risk protection and very corporate sort of things like an escrow account for the down payment. And they wanted, um, you know, regular testing, every 30th bag of biomass needed to be tested and stuff like that. And that's, those would be natural things, you know, for, for any kind of big deal like that. But because of the sort of quasi black market culture of people In Colorado, there was, sadly, a a distrust that they just could not get past and just various things that basically the investors got really cold feet and they pulled out. And I was trying to help and I was driving around and and, um, trying to introduce the buyer to all these different farms and stuff and it just you know, it was, it was disappointing. I would have got a commission too. And that was disappointing too. <laughs> but, you know, it was an adventure for me. I, I enjoyed, you know, a couple of days of driving around Colorado visiting hemp farms, but, um, you know, it would have been happier for everybody and the farmers would have been compensated if they had been able to close that deal. So I think there is sort of a weird culture, you know, uh, a lot of people, there's a, there's a different culture in the hemp growers um, than there is in the, uh, in the corporate world, and they need to figure out how to mesh and where are the gaps. The good thing, the wonderful thing about the hemp growing movement in Colorado is that the average age of a farmer in Colorado is like 74, but these hemp growers are really young. They're in their 30s. They have little kids. I mean you see a farmer with a tractor and a 10-year-old kid I mean or even like a 5-year-old kid it's it's amazing and it is just wonderful and if we can figure out a way to mesh these cultures and get this crop you know into a into the mainstream I think what will happen is the average age of farmers will just really go down and people will really have, I mean, it, it's just wonderful to see. And the, in fact, one of the farms that we visited, the the growers were in their thirties, but they had a farmer next door who was ready to retire. He was in his seventies and they basically said, we're hiring you as a consultant and you get half the profit. And this farmer who was ready to you know, give up. His kids didn't want to deal with the farm. You know, they're in a very isolated place in Southeastern Colorado. And he just got a new lease on life because he had all this in, in institutional knowledge that he could share and mentor these farmers. And their, their field looked fantastic. Yeah, and um, so that is a, just a wonderful thing with this sort of hemp. I mean, so many people and some percentage a lot of those farmers i think are terrible about sort of the ecological benefits of growing hemp they put a lot of plastic down <laughs> all this other stuff or they run some kind of like they run a semi to cool to dry it like 24/7 you know and and stuff but there is a percentage of those farmers those young farmers who will say hey i want to get into organic vegetables next or i want to you know i i really think that is just it's such an un unexpected, uh, vision of people, younger people looking at agriculture. And I think that's wonderful.
0: Yeah. You know, agriculture has changed a lot in our country over the years and a lot of young people aren't farming anymore like they were before. And, you know, the, the like that 70, 72 year old man, you know, his family doesn't want to take it over
2: anymore, mm-hmm.
0: but now we're getting these younger people in. So I don't know. Maybe from your experience and thought, how do you think that that can really project farming in the future? I mean, I'm super passionate about regenerative agriculture and really just, you know, making our environment better. So how how is it like connecting these younger and older generations and possibly growing that that farming mentality could be in the future?
2: Well, I think USDA could actually have a. Um, role in this because they do have local offices and they could you know have a mentoring program that's one of the deliverables that we had for the hemp group in Colorado that kind of got didn't get necessarily uh, pushed forward but um, you know some kind of mentoring for older uh, older people who have all this experience especially you know Colorado has Tricky growing. We have hail that comes and goes. You know, like can destroy your crop in fifteen minutes. We have, you know, early frost. We had a frost September twelfth this year. You know, that was it's a lot. If you have you know three acres of hemp, what are you going to do about that? If you know it's going to go down to, it's not really at, um, it's it's going to go down to thirty degrees. You're you're in trouble. Yeah. So. Um, That, you know, there are a lot, there's a lot of institutional knowledge in these old time farmers that, that they would love to share with a young person. They would love to share with their own kids who have no interest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think it's so So, important that we highlight that and then draw those people together because there are so many people that have so much knowledge that can share with one another and really make this world or this country a better place. Right. So
2: um, My experience is when I meet people who want to get start all over who want to start an, an organic farm and stuff they're always in their 50s, or okay. like early 60s, they they finished their corporate job and now all they want to do is grow organic vegetables well what they figure out is that like there's no shade, and you have to lean over the whole time. <laughs> you know, labor-intensive. <laughs> like, it's not easy. It's no. hard work. And people in their 30s, young people in their 30s are, you know, they're willing to do that work. And they're willing to put the muscle into it. And um, so it's, it's really a wonderful thing.
0: Can you... You know, I read through some of your information here, and you mentioned something about the USDA's BioPreferred program. Yeah, I don't really understand that. Can you explain how that works, and then how your work with Colorado kind of would work into that type of idea?
2: Yes. Um, so the USDA's BioPreferred program is basically, you know, the federal government has this enormous CMS buying structure that they buy crap. From everybody across, you know, they spend billions of dollars buying stuff for their offices and, you know, for projects, for building projects, um, for just running, you know, government offices. And there, this buyer preferred program basically says that if you have a product that is a natural product, for example, uh, furniture stuffing or um. You know, um, Sock and paper, um all kinds of soaps and and cleanup, oil cleanup. You know, I'm thinking of the hemp versions, but there are a million different sort of organic products that are sort of uh, farm product based as opposed to petroleum based. OK, so suppose I had hemp soap that I could get down to. Suppose I was Dr. Brommer's and I had hemp soap that I could get down to competitive with petroleum-based soap. The the federal government, the bio preferred program says that you have to, it's mandatory, you have to choose the bio-based product. Mm. And that, you know, now that doesn't mean that they're gonna go looking for it. That means you have to register as a broker, you have to register as a sell a vendor with the feds and you have to, you know, bid on certain Things it's not like they're gonna look for you, but um, it's there. The program is there. So, the 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 thing in Colorado that when I have interviewed people as a journalist, I asked them what would you want the Colorado Department of Agriculture to know about something they could do to make your product, you know, to make it so that your product was viable. And I was told, well, if the state had a procurement preference then for hemp products hemp derived products then that would you know give us this beginning market that we could then build our uh business around and so that is in the colorado deliverables for the hemp blueprint and hopefully that will i mean it's going to take probably some legislative action but um And that doesn't mean that you have to be Colorado based either. Suppose I'm making hemp rope, which they do in Canada with the hemp fiber. I mean, they're, you know, I could sell it to the state of Colorado. I could still sell cargo netting for the airport. I could sell, you know, that kind of thing, you know, non, non non-woven fiber products. Um, So that's, uh, that's interesting to me. And, you know, I don't think enough businesses take advantage of the biopreferred program nationally Yeah, but it's all written out there if you google it yeah. it's all like all the instructions are right there
0: now what once the usda or a state that is involved in this program buys these products from say the farmer or you know the the cottage maker of products what do they do with those products
2: well, this is a this is a one to one swap. So okay. suppose I sold if I sold cleaning detergent that was made of hemp oil, and I could get the price relatively competitive. Um, the fed the federal agencies that buy cleaning detergent would have to buy it from me or some other vendor who's selling a bio based product. Okay.
1: So it kind of sounds like we can use a already existing government program to help drive the market for hemp.
2: Exactly, exactly. And all kinds of other, you know, bio-based farming-based uh, products, yeah. which is very cool.
0: That's way cool. I had no, you know, it's not, not anything that I've ever learned about yet. So thank you yeah. for sharing that with us. That's awesome. Um, I know you've touched on ecotourism. Explain your passion about that to us.
2: Well, Colorado, of course, has, you know, we have a lot of tourism and, you know, it's everybody has a visiting the national parks or or visiting, you know, Colorado with their parents and, you know, coming up and camping or getting at a little cabin with their cousins, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's it's. It is a business here that is, uh, well, tourism in general is a business that's, that until COVID and even during COVID, I mean, it's, it's actually kind of safe to go to a national park and go on a hike as opposed to going to a museum or going to restaurants. Um, so to me, we do have one hempcrete Airbnb here in Colorado. It's up in the mountains in Steamboat Springs. But uh, to me... When I've interviewed people who own a hempcrete home, they say, all of a sudden, my house is a tourist destination, and people are ringing my doorbell all day long. There's a a beautiful hemp home in Bellingham, Washington, and the grandma who owns it, ding dong, ding dong, you know, people are just showing up there in these hempcrete pilgrimages, And she loves it, of course, But and she gives tours and everything. But, you know, the point is that I think there is really a market for sort of an eco-tourism thing. Like, for example, wouldn't you love, if you were interested in hempcrete, wouldn't you love to come to a little place with, like, four cottages that were run with solar power that had, you know, maybe that had, I don't know how you'd feel about, like, uh, bio toilets or (laughs) that might be be just a little too eco but you know um that kind of you know to visit a hempcrete house yourself and uh not not have to buy one or you know and to sort of figure out i I understand that there are wi-fi issues and with hempcrete homes that people may not realize um, (laughs) because the walls are made out of limestone so you really have to figure out how you're going to do your router and get it next to a window and stuff like that. Um so wouldn't it be fun to just go while you're on your family vacation go to a hempcrete cottage instead of just a regular cabin and uh so I feel like that is a market that in Colorado would would do well. And plus, you know, the idea that it isn't going to burn down during the wildfire, because (laughs) it's made out of limestone, basically. And, um, and, you know, we have a guy here in town, John Patterson in Fort Collins, who does these tiny hemp home, tiny hemp houses, workshops, and he gets like 40 people to come and they build a tiny house. Um, And he's got one in his backyard and you go in there and he does not have the the inner walls some of them are limestone over lime plastered over but some of them just are the hempcrete and he's got like different colors and bottles in them like an earth home earth ship and um but you go in there and there's just this wonderful smell which is the smell of drying hay in the summer you know you just oh it's just so nice. It's, oh, it's, <laughs> it's wonderful. And I, I just think it really could be a huge thing if hemp Creek could be in the, um, in the building code. Mm-hmm. Well, and wonderful,
0: a what a wonderful way to really open people up to seeing what hemp Creek homes are like and expand the knowledge in the industry
2: too. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: Also, you know, rebuilding, um, I, I had mentioned this to you folks earlier, but um, my kids and I are, are working on a uh, project to re-resuscitate a, one of those horrible trailer uh, trailer campers that, you know, <laughs> they're just like a lot of them from the 80s that are just like horrifically awful. Um, they've been loved to death. And um, we're going to take the walls off and put hempcrete on it. And, uh, it's small enough to basically be light enough to stay on wheels Mm -hmm. and just make and put a solar panel on it and make it into a little sort of movable, what I call it the hempcrete she shed on wheels, (laughs) 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 a home office. I think people, a lot of people want to build a home office in their yard. I mean, wouldn't it be fun to do it out of hempcrete? Um, especially if it was portable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Is this something that you plan on moving many miles or just kind of around? the park? No,
2: just moving it around and just sort of, you know, having it for fun, like having it for a home office with a, you know, that you could work in and put two solar panels on there and then you can go out and work in the, the she shed.
1: Yeah. So what are your challenges right now with um, with moving forward with that project?
2: Well, finding hemp herd for 50 cents a pound or less is tough. Um, They were selling it in Canada. Now you can get it it, from China for like 60 cents a pound. I mean, it would be ideal, of course, to get it here Mm -hmm. in Colorado. There isn't, of course, there is a bottleneck with decortication and people who have you know, people burn their stocks here, um, instead of, uh, decorticating them and selling the herd. Um, but wouldn't it be fun if it, if you could get hemp herd at the Home Depot and, you know, some lime and just work on that kind of project. Part of the reason I want to do it and make a little video about it is to show that, like, Someone with no construction skills and someone who's like a middle-aged woman could just do this kind of do-it-yourself project, you know, to democratize it so that people feel comfortable so they don't feel like they have to be a millionaire. You know, I'm just wait till I get my first 10 million and then I'll build the Hemp Creek dream Dreamhouse. It's like a democratizing um, kind of a construction method yeah so when you say
1: decortication for some of those people that are unfamiliar with that what is
2: decorticate oh okay so decortication is so here is how you get the you go from a hemp a hemp stalk in the field to a hemp fiber that you can use in thread um so the fiber is on the outside. That's called the, uh, oh, shit. What is it called? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I'm mostly concentrated on the herd. The herd is the inner bark mm-hmm. that's kind of squishy. And they make that, they use the herd for uh, plastics too. They just grind it up into powder. Um, they cut the stalks. They ret them, which is a way. To, another way to say they rot them until the fiber's kind of coming off the middle part. And then they smash them up and separate the inner from the outer stalks. So, um, the smashing up process is called decortication. And in the state of, uh, there used to be a lot of decorticating machines and factories in the United States. I just found out that there were eleven in the state of Iowa alone wow. that employed a hundred men. They were men in the twenties and thirties to um, smash up this hemp. Um, so the the machines are basically like a roller. And in fact, there are these field decorticating machines that you can, that are small enough that one guy can do um, standing in a field for like $10,000. You can sit there and feed the stalks in and it'll smash them up. Um, but anyway, the big the big uh, in China, for example, they when they make hemp fabric, they have these giant stacks of hemp that are thirty feet high, and they're grown close to the factory, and then they they basically pile them up, let them rot in the field for a while, and then they, when they start to uh, get um, malleable, they Shoot them through these machines, and then there's another step called degumming, which is another, you know, which makes it even harder to, you know, say I'm going to grow hemp in my field, and then I'm going to make a shirt out of it. Like <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a there's a, there's a process, and it, it's it's a it's a little bit tricky. And those are those are the ch- the steps on the supply chain that are challenging here in the States, but other countries have definitely, uh, done it. And, uh, I've seen videos of these old decorticating machines in, um, Romania's former Soviet union that have these like giant (laughs) ching, 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 you know, these giant metal pieces that are shaking these things back and forth and combing the fiber out and stuff. I mean, it's the technology's there. It needs to be sort of updated. I think, um, but the problem is, you know, who has 30 million dollars to build this kind of factory right now based on a crop that doesn't really exist in the States yet? So,
1: yeah, a lot of pieces of the puzzle we got yeah. to get. put put Yeah, move forward.
0: You know, you mentioned uh, using hemp for hemp plastics. So how do you feel hemp could be a solution to the pollution we have?
2: well um hemp plastics i mean the idea of using a plant uh to make plastic, which would push at least some of the petroleum product out of the the plastic it's plastic is super interesting. Um, I interviewed this guy at the national renewable energies lab who's a plastics expert and they're working on you know the enzyme that eats plastic have you read about that they found this beetle in japan that eats Mm -hmm. plastic so they were like let's figure out like what it's doing and how can we do it well when you're making a plastic you can actually make these plastics that have what he called handshakes so the handshake is one one chemical has this property the other chemical has another property they meld together and you use that in the plastic you can actually put like a trojan horse in there so that they separate after a certain amount of time Hmm. obviously for food packaging and stuff like that safety an airplane fuselage or something you're not you're not going to have any kind of plastic that separates at some point (laughs) (laughs) Um, but the issue is also you know uh, other plastic other hemp plastic unfortunately is You know, you still end up with a piece of plastic that goes in the landfill, but it's just the inputs have less petroleum. The other issue with hemp plastic, of course, you've seen hemp plastic pens and hemp plastic silverware. It's really an ugly color. (laughs) so you gotta figure out like who's gonna uh, my dad would call it baby shit brown you know it's it's just an ugly ugly color so you gotta figure out you know and and the thing with pet plastics from petroleum is you can make them clear then you can put any color you want in it so that's the reason that the world is so in love with plastic because you can really make it look like anything you want Mm -hmm. so hemp plastic you know, you got to be able to look past the color, or find that you know whatever product it is. People are so attached to the hemp idea, which is true. People love the idea of having a hemp pen. It's like a totemic thing that they have in their house. You know, I'm going to sign this with my hemp pen. You know, um, it is an ugly color, but heck, you know that's hemp. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the things with uh, with hemp plastics. I. Um, There's a guy in North Dakota, North Dakota State, who's doing all kinds of hemp hemp fiber, uh, plastic, uh, 3D printing fiber. So that's really cool. So people can print things out of hemp. Um, That's cool.
0: What about, you know, hemp on more of, in addition to the plastics, but more of, you know, bettering our environment
2: overall? What do you think about that? Well, there is, you know, that, that, see, that's the cool thing about this plant is that it is. So, um, it, it, one of the properties is that it sucks up things like heavy metals out of the soil. So after Chernobyl, they planted hemp in the ground around there to try to get some of the poison out of the ground. They just planted, planted thousands and thousands of acres of hemp, um, and uh, there are phytoremediation projects going on in um, in Oklahoma. Fingers crossed. I've been I've been um, helping some people who are working on a grant there to try to get there are. Um, I think it's called Tar Creek, but there's a, there are just horrific environmental problems in some of this Indian country. That um, has a lot of lead and various just awful chemicals in the land out there. And um, they have found that hemp, you know can can help uh, take it out of the ground. So they're trying to develop a pilot project project to um, to do that. That's one of the reasons why, for example, in Colorado, you can't use any kind of pesticides on hemp because or not sorry on cannabis uh, because the plant just basically sucks it up and concentrates it Mm. so you know it's for human consumption it's terrible Um, you don't want to have any kind of plant that sucks up heavy metals out of the ground but if you're trying to clean the ground it's awesome Um, there's also a guy in uh, there's a group in Florida that are using hemp for water uh, cleaning um, to like strain water pollution because it also um, cleans, just sucks the toxins out of the water. It's an amazing plant. Yeah. yeah.
1: So do you know if we're still able to use that plant for hempcrete if it's been exposed to?
2: If it has heavy metals in it. Um, that is a question that I've seen asked. And I've never seen answered correctly, (laughs) but you know, uh, definitively, I should say. Yeah. Miring minds, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm everybody wants to know that. Like, could I use this to clean up, you know, an environmental spill, oil spill or something, and then turn around and make, you know, um, hemp, hempcrete houses out of it. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. That's That's
0: okay. That's okay. We just figured we'd ask you. Um, What recommendations do you have for somebody who's trying to get into the hemp industry? I I know we touched on farming a little bit, but
2: um, not everybody owns hundreds of acres of land. (laughs) That's another reason that there aren't a lot of 30 year old farmers. They don't necessarily own, you know, huge tracts of land. Um, For me, I, you know, I have, I have a little shop that I do it's actually I work with a shop a friend of mine has a uh, this is a hysterical story so I I get hemp uh things that are already made like hemp tote bags and then I put a hemp I I get Hmong hemp fabric you know traditional fabric from Thailand and Vietnam and I sew pat- patches on it so that you have like you know, old and new hemp. I'll show you a picture. Here we are. We can see each other, people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here's a bag, you know. And this is a really nice canvas bag. It's hemp. And then this is a vintage fabric from Indochina, with which has, you know, this fabulous batik pattern on it. So I do that. And then I, I also sell these um, these little hemp paintings that this woman in England does these tiny little paintings on hemp paper and i put them in the in the shop and within a week they were gone they were sold and it was like wow people are really interested in this so i put like four more in the shop and within a week well within maybe 2 or 3 weeks they were gone but they were shoplifted <laughs> So oh, I never got paid for them. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting to me that people are really. So my advice for someone that would be interested in getting into hemp is figure out a way to do it. Like you've heard of the blue water theory, right? The red water is where the fish and the sharks are killing each other. And there's competition. If you're waiting and waiting for hemp to be fabulous, you know, like event widely available in the United States, you got a long wait, but if you could, since we have this, uh, you know, an 80 year um, lag and you can get hemp products from elsewhere. Um, I would say if you want to, if you want to be a trailblazer, you've got to get the products from elsewhere and bring them in. Um, one thing here in Colorado, this couple that own a restaurant are making hemp hamburgers and without all the, you know, hemp seed has a complete protein so you know people are very interested in meat substitutes Mm -hmm. and um, it's fantastic they're they're selling these hemp burgers at their store but they're not waiting for Colorado farmers to grow the hemp and then separate the seeds and crush the seeds and get the seed kernels and sell them you know they're just getting the seeds from out of the country or somewhere, you know, our health food store even and crushing them up and making them into protein burgers for myself. I don't know. Have you folks uh, experimented with eating hemp seed?
1: Yeah, we actually, yes, we have experimented with hemp seed because we've understood the the value, the health nutritional value. Yeah. We tried. we eat really well. And we have uh, one of our boys has got some allergies to a lot of different things. So I they don't really like the hemp seeds we try to hide
2: (laughs) i feel like it gives me a stomach ache unfortunately um but i haven't you know i need to figure out better ways to do it but you know people throw hemp powder in a smoothie or they you know put hemp seeds on yogurt and stuff like that I, i mean that's very common in europe and other places so my advice would be you know either hemp if you really want to start a hemp-based business, you should figure out um, where you can get your supplies uh, from elsewhere and just jump in and be a trailblazer so that by the time it's actually commonplace, you're the one who's already been selling the stuff for five years or whatever. You know, don't wait for the market, I think. Yeah, I, I agree yeah but once it becomes
1: once it becomes normalized and we are growing it into corticating it and processing the seeds and the oil, the prices are just going to come down. I would only imagine
2: right sure and you know it's interesting flax is a very similar i mean if you don't if you don't look at c b d okay keep c b d out of this and say what you know there are lots and lots of uses for hemp um that don't have anything to do with cvd um you can look at the flax market which is kind of similar it's a winter crop grown up in wisconsin uh, minnesota um kind of similar they don't really it doesn't really have the herd issues but it is you know a very um hard it you know you need very sh- sharp and strong harvesting tools to harvest flax and the same with hemp because it's a tough plant. It's a, that's one of the reasons I'm wearing hemp socks right now. I've had them for a year and they have no holes in them. And my socks always have holes. In them. Yeah. I mean, it's a very strong fabric. Yeah. And, I, I have my uh, socks on too and yeah, I just got them. And I always have holes in my socks. So I'm hoping. That just that wait for a year. Them. You're going to be able to never, You'll never have to darn those socks because (laughs) they just will keep lasting and lasting and lasting. So it's fantastic. And people aren't used to that. I mean, that, that bag, the tote bag I showed you is really strong. I mean, compared to the, you know, the crappy tote bags that you end up with in your house, it's like, geez, this is just such such a nice bag. It's going to last for decades. You know, I mean, people forget that, things used to last for decades
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i bought it i bought a gym bag years ago It's probably seven years ago and it was made from hemp and with hemp being having antimicrobial properties i said you no know, i'm gonna put all my dirty gym clothes in here and i'm not gonna wash my bag i'm gonna put my wet towel in here and that bag never smelled one day
2: yeah exactly and they're they're um there's a company here in Colorado, Eco, Enviro Textiles, which has been doing hemp fabric forever. And they, they have a line in hemp um, uh, scrubs because they are antimicrobial. So, um, you know, doctors and medical personnel, you know, having something that is going to kill off any kind of microbes is really important for them
1: yeah whenever you hear about all the properties of this plant you're like why why are we in the situation we're in like that? <laughs> yeah it's
2: true yeah it's
1: true so gene i
0: want to ask you a big question here so if cannabis was never
2: criminalized what would the industry look like do you think in 1938 mm-hmm. um Yeah, that's a good question. It's been 80 years uh, plus, 80 plus years. Um, It's interesting because hemp has challenges and uh, it was really a slave crop. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason that Jefferson and Washington were growing hemp was because they had somebody who could break it open and smash it and didn't have to get paid. Um, So enslaved people were doing the hard labor and hemp really went out of style A with the introduction of cotton, B with the introduction of Manila hemp um, in the Philippines and C with just the fact that slavery ended and this free source of labor to do this hard decortication disappeared. Now, the, this guy invented a, a hand crank decorticator in 1918, which brought kind of brought hemp back. Um, and in 1938, there was an article in Popular Mechanics, which you've probably seen reprints of, that calls it the billion dollar crop. You know, and that uh, has all the uses of hemp. So I think people, there was a just as the oil industry and the oil plastics were getting started, there was a parallel world, a parallel universe that could have happened with the hemp plant. Um, and, you know, especially with some of the most polluting industries like, uh, like uh, construction, for example, that the, um, making rock wool uh, insulation basically means that you have to heat up balsa or no, ba- no, basalt, sorry, not balsa, basalt. You have to heat it up to 1600 degrees centigrade <laughs> and then you spin it out. And of course, yeah, it makes this fabulous fiber that you can then make insulation out of And it's, and it's made of rock. So it's, it's fireproof. Well, If you had a fireproof version of hemp insulation, think about that. There are these, you know, there are these factories that make the rock wool in West Virginia that they have, they're going, they're running 24 hours a day. They're just pumping pollution out. Um, The local people are just furious at them and trying to, you know, um, trying to get the, local government to uh, stop subsidizing this out of town There's Swedish or no Danish corporation that, that came to the U.S. And, you know, it's basically a sort of environmental um, environmental injustice. They put it in a poor neighborhood and, and started pumping out the pollution. So there are all kinds of, you know, if you think about the petroleum industry, how many petroleum products could have been um you know, we have ethanol for fuel, but if we also had hemp oil-based fuels, um, we might have been able to cut down on uh, carbon emissions even more. Um, obviously, hemp can't completely solve every problem in the world, but it really could um, it really could cut down a lot. And especially in the construction industry, the fashion industry, a lot of these very, very polluting industries, putting just using hemp for the inputs means the outputs are less polluting. Mm -hmm. That's my theory.
0: (laughs) I like it.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jean, for joining us today. It's been great to sit here and chat about hemp. And I know we could go on for hours.
2: Yes. Yep.
1: (laughs) Well, we appreciate you for tuning in to the Hemp Empowerment Project, where our goal is to share the amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can help change your life. Please subscribe to this podcast so you're always in the know.